The ARA acknowledges the traditional owners of the land where we have recorded this podcast, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, and we pay our respects to the Elders past, present and recognise Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders as Australia's first traders, who utilise a sophisticated network of trading paths that have facilitated the exchange of goods, knowledge and culture for millennia. Hi, I'm Paul Zara, CEO of the Australian Retailers Association, and welcome to Retail Therapy, a podcast proudly brought to you by American Express. The ARA is Australia's largest and oldest retail association, representing around 7,500 independent national and international members. Each episode, I'll be chatting with a leader in Australia's retail industry right here in the Amex Lounge, including the CEOs of some of the biggest retailers in Australia and across the globe. We'll be finding out what makes them tick, what defines their leadership style, and how they got to the top of their game. So join me for some retail therapy as we ask these questions and more and navigate our way through the retail industry, Australia's largest private sector employer. For more information about the work we do at the Australian Retailers Association, head to our website, retail.org.au. Joining me for some retail therapy today in the Amex Lounge is Camilla's CEO, Jane McNally. Jane is responsible for bringing the artistic vision of designer Camilla Franks to life. It's a much-loved Australian fashion brand with 21 boutiques across the country, showcasing vibrant clothing and accessories for women. I'm delighted to have Jane with me today. Jane, welcome. Thank you, Paul. Pleased to be here. Now, it's a shame it is a podcast and not a visual medium because I've got to say, you're looking absolutely fabulous, but the screen <laughs> behind you is twice as good. So, uh, you know, people just have to imagine how gorgeous is um, you're presenting yourself today because, you know, they cannot see what's um, going on. So thank you for going all that trouble for me. Oh, no, that's lovely. Thanks, Paul. So let's start off with the story of Camilla, founded by Camilla Franks in 2004. It's grown throughout Australia as well as a couple of stores in the United States. So tell us more about the business and what makes the brand so unique. Well, look, Camilla hasn't actually uh, paid me any extra to say this, but uh, she is, in truth, a creative genius. So I think she's worked from um, what she would wear herself and many, many chats with girlfriends along the way. And in doing that, she's developed actually what's a whole new way of dressing for women. It's actually quite disruptive. So Camilla clothes, if you haven't tried them, they're incredibly glamorous, they're vibrant, they're colourful, but they're also the most comfortable things you'll ever wear. Mm. Um, And that's actually very empowering. You don't have to squid yourself into any more tailored pencil skirts. And so many women I meet say that once they've started wearing this brand, they won't wear anything else. It's addictive. And I'm certainly never going back to plain black or beige. <laughs> well, that, is that your fashion tip then? <laughs> fashion tip for the top. Absolutely. I think, look, I think it, it does appeal. The brand appeals to women aged 18 to 80. All the research we've done is it's very evenly split across the ages. But they just share a zest for life and that very optimistic outlook. And we've, uh, we include many global celebrities amongst our, and thought leaders amongst our advocates. So the likes of JLo, Beyonce, Gwen Stefani and Oprah, just to name a few. And I think that's because there's actually so many points. You mentioned about what makes the brand unique. There's many points of uniqueness with our brand. And that starts with size inclusivity. I think unusually for a designer brand, we embrace every size, shape and skin colour. The original designs that uh, Camilla put to the market were and actually still are one size. And those uh, silk garments can be tied or styled 
uh, to suit everyone from a size eight to a 28. And then as we've introduced more fitted silhouettes for events and occasion and active and different fabrics, we've actually maintained that inclusivity. So we offer extended size options from an XXS to a 4XL. And I think that the other thing that's really different about the brand is you can wear it so many ways, one garment so many different ways. That tiling and styling technique alongside how our prints are placed gives many different ways of options, options of wearing. So, for example, a full-length kaftan can be changed into an off-the-shoulder evening dress, then into a short top. And that means that as you change the time, the print changes appearance and makes holiday packing beyond simple. You can actually pack for a week in, in one overnight bag. <laughs> so well, that's, that's, that's very different. Yeah, no, it is. So something for everyone, which is a big tick. Something for everyone. And also, I think just the way, you know, we're a print brand, we're a storytelling brand. Mm. And I think that helps people to feel good because uh, we're almost sharing the vicariously the experiences that Camilla herself has experienced when she's travelled overseas, perhaps. And, you know, she goes on these trips, she comes back with up to 30,000 photos wow. and some rather sometimes strange travel treasures, she calls them. So I've seen her bring back everything from a Victorian chamber pot to a French accordion. <laughs> and then she puts all these things all over the floor and she briefs our incredible team of graphic artists. And somehow, somehow they managed to capture that sense of escapism and colour. And that in turn, as I say, just makes you feel happy to look at it and wear it. That's that's amazing. That is amazing. I mean, it'd be so amazing to see that all in action. I, I can imagine she must come back with more than a couple of suitcases then. Oh, I don't even want to think of the excess <laughs> luggage allowance. Truly, I don't. But, yeah, and, and I'm absolutely in awe of the creative team because, you know, they design up to every, every – season they design up to 70 or 80 different prints mm. but they never repeat one and I've actually attended a Camilla event with up to 80 guests and they've all been wearing Camilla and no two guests have been dressed amazing. the same. I did not know that and I've known Camilla for a fair time <laughs> in my time at David Jones I just find that quite amazing so that um they almost become uh, collector's items then I, I take it. They are exactly that. It's like limited edition. They're collectible. They're actually tradable and much more fun than Pokemon cards. <laughs> um, and some of our unicorn prints, they actually sell in the secondhand market higher than the original retail price. That is so it's quite exciting in terms of uh, you're making an investment, Paul. You certainly are. Look, I'm, not, I'm starting <laughs> to wonder why anyone's not why everyone's just not wearing Camilla because you, exactly. exactly. Like, let's talk about that. I mean, you, you go from like something for everyone, collector's items. You can go from desk to dinner. You can go from work. Office, office to evening out. Office That's to evening right. completely. That's Thank right. you for that. That's um, helping yeah. me out. So, no, it, well, it, it does make you wonder. But I can see why. And I think the brand has got such absolute cachet in this country and has done so, so well. And I know that um, you work hard, particularly through, um, you know, Australian Fashion Week, where you've sort of, where you get to show your wares. It must be a crazy time in getting things prepared for the runway. So I'd be keen to, with all of that creative juices, how do you edit and how do you make sure that you can only do so much, right? So how do you, what process do you follow? Yeah, we, we are a brand that says more is more, to be fair. So our editing is tough. But, you know, it's it, the, the process that we follow, we have, we have a team of probably the largest team in Australia of or for a brand of our size of creative artists in-house. Um, and they'll create a selection of, of prints. We will then sort of edit through those prints probably four times a season for the forthcoming season. 
Um, we also look at, uh, you know, the styles that our silhouette designers have pulled together. And again, that will be reviewed four times a season. And yeah, it's, it is a complicated process. It's not a quick process. But then when you think about it, it's not a quick process actually to, you know, to make it even one of our garments takes over 90 hours beginning to end. And so actually it deserves quite a bit of consideration and thought. But yeah, I, I actually sometimes look at what we've thrown out at the end of the day and mm. think actually that could be a whole other collection all on its own. We're certainly not short of ideas, that's for certain. Well, look, let's now talk about your career. And You joined the business in 2017, but where did it all begin? What was life like growing up for you? Ah, well, <laughs> well, I actually went to nine different schools for starters. Wow. Yeah. People used to ask if I was uh, continually being expelled, perhaps. <laughs> well, that was or, my uh, first thought. Yeah. <laughs> Or if my dad was in the army or maybe a spy or something exciting like that. But in truth, he was a retail pharmacist working for Boots the Chemist. Um, and that was at a time uh, when the company thought it was important to move their, their management every three years so they could bring fresh thinking into the stores and the regions. Mm. So, you know, those constant moves, they were a bit painful at times um, because no one wants to leave all their school friends behind. But what it did do, Paul, is have the positive effect of making our immediate family group very close and supportive of one another. And I think, you know, my sister is still my best friend today. And it also made me very adaptable and resilient to change. Good point. And I think as a side note, it also gave me a good introduction to the world of retail. I actually still remember doing my homework in the staff canteen above the boots store in Guildford, Surrey in the UK, and having all these people walk past talking about space optimization and sales <laughs> per linear, uh, square foot as it was then. And that was all much more fascinating than my biology homework at the time. So um, yeah, I, I, th- I also think that that traveling childhood helped in my own career because I was never afraid to relocate for the right opportunity. And that probably explains why I landed in Sydney eight years ago, having never been to Australia before except for the interview and knowing absolutely no one here except my um, gorgeous, long-suffering and wonderful husband and sons whom I dragged along with me. Wow, that is amazing. Uh, My next question is around, uh, were you naturally an ambitious person? Did you always have ambitions to get to the top of your field? Mm, That's a tough one. No, I actually definitely didn't have a grand career master plan. You know, after a history and politics degree and a sponsored uh, postgrad in retail, I spent my early career in buying, which for anyone that's listening is an amazing job, by the way, because you actually get to bet with somebody else's money. (laughs) Um, But uh, on the back of that postgrad, I I had a fortunate early break. Uh, I think aged around 22, I was given my own office, my own secretary, company car and responsibility for 12 regional managers. And I had a really wide buying remit encompassing everything from accessories to cosmetics to fashion jewellery. And I'm not sure if that would happen today, probably almost certainly not. But I think if someone's prepared to trust you, then swimming in the deep end is almost always the best way to learn. So it was a steep curve, but a really amazing opportunity. So no, I never started out thinking I really wanted to be a CEO, but I think I love a challenge. And then it's always risen to an even bigger challenge. And then I personally enjoy seeing how all the bits of the the or the business jigsaw fit together. Um, so I think that's probably how it's happened. You know, I'm not ruthless, but I am, and my teams will tell me that I'm a bit competitive and I apply that competitiveness on behalf of my teams and my businesses. Although I encourage collaborative team working internally, I suppose I like to set the bar high. And as a result of that, I love to, the fact that many of my team members have, they've stretched their own targets 
And a lot of them have gone on to be really, really successful in their own fields. Amazing. Jane, let me ask this. Have you always been in fashion in your retail career? I've always been in fashion, but in, in, in different types of businesses. I really enjoy the most the ones that are in high growth mode or in need of transformation. So very different types of fashion retail businesses. And what I enjoy doing is identifying what's unique about a business, almost irrespective of the category, and working out how we can own that USP and make it best in class for the mm-hmm. consumer. So, you know, I spent some years in department store, mid-market fashion, and I was really incredibly fortunate to be one of the early movers in the UK value fashion sector. Um, I actually headed up women's clothing for Primark during a period where we grew revenue from, I think it was about 300 million uh, to a billion pounds. And we switched our image from sort of I suppose, cheap to uh, what became known as Prime Army. Army. So I really enjoyed that, putting the fashion credentials into a value retailer. But probably, you know, probably my my biggest career challenge was my first CEO role. Mm. I think I could have done a bit more due diligence beforehand, but it was probably like a, a, a sort of quick MBA in CEO ship um, because <laughs> I, I took on my first CEO role in the middle of 2008 at the start of the GFC. And it look, it was a struggling, multi-brand, cash-hungry, listed business. And as a result of a, a pre-pack uh, lease bounce back just two weeks before I started, I realised I'd actually got a £28 million underlying loss. All the executive board had left at the same time. I got no committed banking facilities. So that was um, a bit of a roller coaster. That was fun. And up to that point, I thought if you get the right proposition, you get the right team, you get the right product, um, you get the right marketing, you can actually just rule the world and solve everything. But that was a humbling point at which I thought, actually, you know what? Cash is king. By month three, I didn't know if I could afford the payroll for over 2,000 staff. And we definitely couldn't spend on things like a hole in the warehouse roof. But I think what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. I taught myself cash flows. I taught myself everything there is to know about retail leasing. And some of those uh, British leases were 35 years long. Um, You know, I recruited a relatively inexperienced, but really highly talented and dare I say, new female executive board, you know, and I was very honest about where the business was at. I just don't think anyone believed me. And together, our wins included, you know, turning that business back into a small profit. We built a significant online business from a five and a half thousand pound secondhand website. And we ended up being nominated by Barclays Bank for business turnaround of the year. That is amazing. That's amazing. I, I often I often think too, Jane, I think first, most people would talk about their first CEO role not being an easy one. And it's it's not like one step up, is it? When you, it's It's more like 12, um, I think, you know. <laughs> so people often, you know, we spend our careers moving from one management position to the other and you sort of, you, you just have to learn something new. But as a CEO, you you sort of become the jack of all trades, don't you? And <laughs> Exactly, jack of all trades. <laughs> and I think, uh, yeah, I think, do you know what comes with it that you don't sort of think about beforehand is just that sense of responsibility for yes, other, others. Yes. <laughs> But actually, prior to that, you could there was always somebody that you could blame, but not that I did. But you know, suddenly it was all on yeah. your shoulders. Yeah, and the stress, I guess, too, uh, particularly with with cash flow and knowing you may not be able to pay staff their wages, that would come up with with high stress. 
It, it, it really did. Yeah, look, the, the, it, it, it ended up in a good place and that's the main thing. Yeah. Talking about stress, let's go back to the beginning of the pandemic, shall we, and just discuss <laughs> that for a moment. Uh, non-essential business were shut down. I imagine that caused a massive disruption for you. Um, how did you navigate things? Other than calling me, I hope you got to tell me that. <laughs> I did call you, Paul. Do you remember yeah, that? You did. I remember that conversation. <laughs> yeah, what are you doing about this, Paul? Yeah. Um, I can't, can you believe that we're here again? It's just like uh, the worst sort of deja vu. But look, I think when you're in crisis, the, the key things are always clear focus and constant communication. You know, my, my son is a, a firefighter and he tells me the same thing in that job. And I think during a pandemic, um, there are so many brand new challenges which emerge rapidly. You've got to think about team health and safety, retail closures, legislative change, travel bans, wholesaler distress, supply chain interruption. So, you know, responding to all those big issues requires you keeping calm and staying in close contact with your team. And I think the thing I'm most thankful for that is that we've got a very strong and cohesive leadership team at Camilla. And we had, in fact, just completed a coaching team leadership program just before uh, the pandemic hit and that further solidified that team bond. Um, so we huddled together virtually every day to thrash out solutions and importantly ensure that any actions that we were taking were cohesive throughout the business, because that's the other thing that can go wrong. You've got a great solution for one bit, but it throws something else off balance. And I think also transparency. So letting the, the team know what's happening is always key. Uh, people were frightened, you know, and I'm, I always make sure that we debrief our whole team on a weekly basis. And it doesn't matter if the news is good or bad. It's never as, it's never so bad if you're actually facing it. And obviously, during the main crisis period, we switched from face-to-face to live stream. But I think there were positives. I think everyone that's been on this series with you, Paul, talks about the positives that came out of it. And I think for us, there was an amazing esprit de corps, a real determination by the team to get through this in strong shape. And because in the first wave, we had no idea how long this crisis would last, the entire team took a voluntary temporary pay cut, which I'm thankful to say we've all now repaid. You know, we had some deployment. For example, the boutique team moved to digital support and we had a few reduced hours, but there were no COVID redundancies, which is brilliant. And we're now employing like crazy again. But also as a positive, we had some, you know, we learned some great lessons and accelerated many initiatives. I think we we knew instinctively for our brand, uh, which has, uh, you know, a lot of close connectivity that, uh, keeping that connectivity going would be absolutely key. Our VIPs, yeah, customers, yeah. they traditionally love uh, to shop in a boutiques. Um, and we knew that to bring them online, we had to transfer the personal experience and connection into a remote online shopping environment. And accordingly, we made the decision, you know, to keep those store teams employed and harnessing their personal interpersonal skills into that digital environment. We offered online styling. We offered accompanied virtual shops. We live streamed new capsule drops and the list goes on. And we also pivoted at at light speed into what our customers were asking us for at that point, which was Camilla Zenware. Now, Camilla Zenware is a combination of active and loungewear. And it's just as suitable for drinking wine on the sofa, you'll be pleased to hear, or I was anyway, as it is for yoga, Pilates, and the now infamous Zoom meetings. Fabulous. Oh, fabulous. Um, so so you, you obviously saw a really large, I and mean, you've always had a great online business. I remember that really well. But uh, equally, this would have been a surge through the pandemic. What new trends were emerging that you, you think 
you've just spoken a bit about that now, but you know, what do you think will be the capabilities that will change or, or, or conversely be embedded? So you've, oh, you're offering virtual shopping experiences. Do you think some of this will just continue outside of lockdown? Absolutely continuing. Um, look, um, and it's very exciting actually, because as well as being a fashion designer brand, we are actually a, a digital first business. So over 50% of our sales now are done online. Amazing. That's actually despite the fact that we've been opening more stores, increasing our uh, retail and wholesale revenue as well. So um, look, we already, as you say, had a strong international e-commerce platform pre-COVID, but things that we added through that period, you know, we added additional global shipping destinations. We localized currency and payment options and we um, selected local language uh, sites. And actually, we were able to do that last bit by finding we had some amazing linguists in our retail team that helped us to do that. Wow. We also swiftly developed a new platform that hosted our first ever online warehouse sale. We It was very important to us because our, our annual warehouse sale generates a lot of cash at a period where um, we didn't know whether we'd have cash or not but we and we'd advertise the date in a physical location so we kept yes. that date and launched a platform we photographed 5000 items and we remarketed to go online within 10 days we're going to keep that wow. now so it's a much better process our customers love it it's not limited to new south wales only and you know that that event was really successful last week we uh, or sorry a couple of weeks ago we annualized that event um, and had an equally good result fantastic other things that we did during that period that we're definitely keeping going, we built upon our Camilla community by launching a Facebook forum where our customers could connect with one another, as well as their boutique angels about their lockdown wardrobes and their experiences. And we've seen, you know, more than 7,000 customers sign up to this since it launched. We host and continue to host weekly uh, watch parties where our in-house stylists can talk customers through each new drop and offer styling solutions and outfit tips. And we've hosted remote VIP event evenings. Um, I have to say that one of the most popular featured home-delivered wines, which we'd paired to our print selection. That was fun. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, all these things that we're keeping going. It's, it's really, you know, it's really been amazing. Um, and actually a lot of customers have actually preferred it. You know, they prefer a glass of champagne on the sofa and and, and chatting to uh, chatting to one of our angels. Oh, of course. Um, and all the appointment slots that we actually offered customers for accompanied shopping, they filled overnight. They've they've delivered a really high conversion rate, and we're seeing that again now. Um, so, yeah. And, and when we were able to reopen stores, we've expanded our omnichannel options. So we include now invisible aisle fulfillment and forward order digital wish lists. Um, so, yeah, lots going on in that space, Paul. We'll be right back after this short message. Is it possible to grow your small business fast and still get extra time to pay? It's possible with Platinum. Pay off a portion of your balance over time with our flexible payment option, the American Express Platinum Business Card. With 400,000 bonus points when you apply by 6th of October 2021 and spend $12,000 in the first three months. American Express. Don't do business without it. New card members only. T's and C's apply. FPO interest charges and limits apply. Now tell me, the Camilla brand has a strong connection to women, obviously, and you support a number of women's charities and causes. Can you tell me a little bit about um, the, the charities you've chosen and why they're important? Um, well, yeah, I think, I think it's so important 
uh, for a brand to have purpose. And it's, you know, one of the things that attracted me to Camilla. Uh, we don't just publish a set of values. Um, we really live and breathe them. Um, and that includes leading with love and fighting for those who, who need our help. So core to our um, philanthropic uh, business model is that we make a donation uh, with the op- option for our customers to top up uh, via iChange on every online order to one of our three favourite charities. Um, and these are the Hunger Project, uh, Women's Community Shelters and the National Breast Cancer Foundation. And together, those three charities are helping to stop child marriage through education. We believe we've we've stopped around 550 child marriages. Wow. We protect victims of domestic abuse through providing shelter and helping to prevent women obviously dying of breast cancer through research and funding, which is very personal to Camilla, of course. Mm. And we drive many other philanthropic initiatives and events. Amazing work. Now, I'm going to talk a little bit about fashion sustainability um, because it's another key issue for the industry. Businesses are looking at ways to reduce the impact of unused clothes on the planet. What measures are you taking at Camilla and what role do you see the fashion industry playing in this regard? In, to, in this regard? Uh, well, Paul, we've, we've actually got a world that's unfortunately literally burning around us. It's really scary, I think, how quickly uh, global warming is accelerating. Um, and unfortunately, we, we're now aware just how much of a pollutant role the fashion industry has historically had to play in that regard. So I think armed with that knowledge, the industry's got a particular responsibility to protect and care for the planet. Um, And the Camilla team are on the front foot in that regard. We're we're undertaking many uh, sustainably led initiatives. But I suppose first and foremost, we're not a fast fashion brand. Each and every one of our pieces, as we've discussed, is crafted with the idea that it's going to become a collectible piece and that can pass from one generation to the next. And we've also entered the rental market through a collaboration with Glam Corner, And in terms of how we produce, um, our relationship with our partner manufacturers is is really close and we invest in training and education with them to ensure that the the best environmental practices are followed. Most of our fabrics are natural and they're biodegradable, in particular our iconic silks. But we're also looking um, to new innovative fabrications uh, from recycled materials. For example, all of our swimwear range is now crafted from Econil, which is a regenerated nylon um, made from ocean and land waste. And our packaging, we're just relaunching a new recycled and recyclable labelling and packaging suite across all, all touch points. And then I think from a team and customer community engagement perspective, we are, you know, we're, we're engaging in conversation with support for, you know, things like the Great Barrier Reef conservation research, the Daintree Forest preservation, and obviously that the bushfire relief and drought relief. Amazing, amazing, amazing work and effort and all, all credit to yourself, to Camilla and the team. I mean, that's amazing um, round of achievements, actually. Well, it, it, we've we've actually been receiving a little bit of help there from the ARA, uh, <laughs> your, your new, your new enver- environmental specialist. Well, he's, been, he's been super helpful. Thank you for it. saying that, Jane. You didn't need to say that, but thank you very much for saying that. I, I want to look now a little bit to the future. Um, what does the future look like for an Australian designer like Camilla? What are the key focus areas for you at the moment? Well, we've got quite a a modest vision at at Camilla, which is to colour the world. Um, And that vision hasn't hasn't changed. But uh, given what's going on in the world, we've maybe redefined the milestones a a little bit. We're prioritising investment on further digital expansion and improvement. Hmm. Um, That means more focus on CRM, rewards and loyalty, more investment on that top of funnel uh, digital marketing globally to introduce new customers 
and more localization of online destinations, which, you know, back to that sort of local currency payment methods and local marketing collateral. And then in terms of store hubs, I'm very um, proud to say that we opened our third store remotely in Dallas, Texas last week. Oh, wow. Um, and that actually has, you know, smashed it out the park in terms of uh, sales results. And we're looking uh, from that store for a, a further boutique in Florida or California this year, and at least a further seven stores in the US over the next three years. And then in terms of upcoming product initiatives, we're continuing to grow our sort of cold climate offer for the Northern Hemisphere. It's taken a little while because we've been working to explain we don't just do resort at Camilla, but I'm pleased to say that we've now got heavy jersey, true knits, and actually last week outerwear as best as new bestsellers, which is you know, for not really exciting. Um, we're expanding our, our home interior options of our partnerships uh, to include rugs, crockery, and even the most fabulous wallpaper designs. Wallpaper's coming back in fashion, Paul, well, yes. um, if it ever went away. <laughs> um, and also, most importantly, we're responding to the request for a more substantial menswear offer uh, by expanding our Camilla men's range to include that's very, some very special silk shirts, trousers, and what every man needs, smoking jackets from this September. So I hope you're going I'll to take look a out, look I'll all. look out yeah. for those. I, I think <laughs> you've got so you, so you've got a full dance card, that's for sure. And it's so lovely to hear an Australian designer going doing well internationally and expanding internationally because, unfortunately, we don't hear too many of those stories. So, um, you know, again, great, great work. All credit to yourself, Camilla, and the team. Um, this has been such a joy talking to you today, Jane. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for joining us here with Retail Therapy. Congratulations on all that you've done and best of luck for the future. Oh, Paul, thank you so very much and uh, good luck with everything the ARA is doing at the moment. Thank you. Thanks for joining us on the Amex Lounge for some retail therapy. Make sure you subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify. We can be found wherever you listen to your favourite podcasts. For more information about the work we do at the Australian Retailers Association, head to our website, retail.org.au. Follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter or Instagram, wherever you love to connect. All the links can be found in the show notes. I can't wait to talk retail therapy with Australia's retail leaders and share these conversations with you, the future leaders, business owners and innovators of the industry. The ARA acknowledges the traditional owners of the land where we have recorded this podcast the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, and we pay our respects to the Elders past, present, and recognise Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders as Australia's first traders, who utilise a sophisticated network of trading paths that have facilitated the exchange of goods, knowledge and culture for millennia.